Hi, my name is Michelle Hannan. Um, I've been a member of Central Church since I was 11 and been going here for most of my life, so this is home to me. Um, Harvesters, the class was really important um, to me in my life. It helped me learn how to share my faith, which I was afraid to do before. A lot of the fear to share my faith just came from, I was just ridiculously afraid that if I didn't know all the Bible verses that um, people would think I was a phony or I didn't really know what I was talking about. I knew that Jesus was amazing and that you know the world needs Jesus but I wasn't sure how to um, explain it with confidence and that confidence is really where I was lacking and I felt God just put on me why haven't you talked to your dad? You need to talk to your father. You're concerned about everybody else going to heaven, and that's great. But don't ignore the family that's right in front of you. Um, I was actually at the car dealership getting my oil changed when um, I just felt this pressure on my heart that you have to talk to your dad. So I texted him. I asked him to come by the house, and he showed up, and I was able to share with my father um, that, you know, we don't have to be in a church for you to accept Christ. You know, the Bible is real. Jesus' love for you is real. His forgiveness is real. And, you know, we can do this right now. And you can be sure that your eternity is secure forever. And that was one of the most beautiful, beautiful moments that I've had with my father um, and it was reassuring for me to know that, you know, now he's going to be in heaven with me. God can do amazing things. So don't put limits on God because your limits are not God's limits. God can um, push you farther, encourage you, and um, through this harvester's class can equip you to make change. The specific part of the harvester's class that uh, most benefited Michelle in being able to share her, 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 her faith in a meaningful way with her father was the 12-week the section related to evangelism. And we're doing something a little different this fall. We are offering that evangelism class as a separate unit. In other words, you can take that on Wednesday nights without necessarily committing to the entire two-year harvester's program. So we encourage you to do that. Wednesday night, starting August 15th, we have the family meal that's served from 5.30 to 6.30. At 6.30, all kinds of offerings, and among them, that evangelism class. And even as I think about coming to the end of this three weeks where we have been focusing on sharing your faith, that may be a real practical step of application for some of you to make. Take that 12 weeks of evangelism, learn how to share your faith, learn how to share your testimony. We encourage you to check that out. There is an informational meeting on Tuesday night, and you can get more information on both harvesters as a whole and the evangelism class as a separate unit at the harvesters table in the foyer. Well, wonderful segue into the last week of three weeks on sharing your faith. And if you've been gone or if you are new and you are visiting, um, uh, we'll try and catch you up really quick here, but, but I've been calling this the gospel on a napkin because that's really where most of my evangelistic conversations take place, in a coffee shop or in a restaurant or at my home uh, across a kitchen table 
where I'm having a real meaningful conversation with someone that I'm building a relationship with, and I want to be able to illustrate the gospel with some easy drawings that that even a non-artist like me can make on a napkin. And if you've been here the last two weeks, you've already seen this twice. You've seen my elevator version. I've never presented the gospel as quickly as I've done it the last two weeks. But this week, I want to do it just a little bit slower. For the last time, you have a page for sermon notes in your bulletin there that if you care to, you can follow along. Don't cheat by looking at the cover. But uh, let me just, for some of those of you who've been here for, uh, for the last three weeks, and you've seen this a couple times, let me just kind of test you. When, when we think of the six major things that we want people to understand, the first thing, what is the very first thing that we want someone to understand in sharing the gospel? Understanding this is participatory here, understanding God, all right? And what is, what's, uh, what's the simple drawing that we use to represent God? A crown, okay? Why a crown? Why of, of all of the images that we could possibly use for God? Well, one, it's easy to draw, but, but two, it's biblical because we're representing God as, as king. We are we are representing God in a culture much like when Paul was, was speaking of God in the Athenian culture and Acts, that, that we're, it's a culture that represents all kinds of gods. And we are saying there's one true God, and this is how you know who the one true God. He is, he is ruler of the world. He created the world. And, and uh, again, if you've not been here, we, we just draw a simple globe indicating that, that all of creation is, is from God. And, and again, we also want to represent that He is creator and sustainer and ruler of humanity. And, and what do we use to illustrate humanity? A little stick figure, all right? And again, this is where, you know, you're either being an artist or a non-artist really shows itself, and I am a non-artist, so that is a stick figure, even if it doesn't look like that. What am I trying to illustrate there to anybody I'm talking to about the gospel? He is the one who made everything. This is the God that I want you to know. He is the one who sustains us. My heart, your heart, is beating today because God wills it. And, and in sharing some Scripture, there's probably many, many passages of Scripture that you could share, but the one that comes to me when I'm thinking of this God I want to represent is Revelation 4.11, where this is what is said about God. He is worthy to receive all glory and all honor and all power because He created all things. And it's by His will that they have their being, that they're in existence, and, and that they are sustained. That's the God I want to represent. And so, just as we were singing earlier, He is Lord over all, and we surrender our lives. That's the rightful response to this God. But is that the way it is? No. And that leads us to the next panel, the next square. Even though this is true about God, and even though it is the rightful response to give Him all glory and honor and power over our lives, that is not what we naturally do. And that is not what we see in the world around us. And that leads us to the second square. If the first square is understanding God, the second square is understanding sin, all right? 
again, a concept that, that many in the world do not know and do not understand. So, we even want to define what sin is. We don't want to assume that somebody knows what that biblical word sin means. How, how might we illustrate that? Well, again, we'll, we'll start with the crown. This is the God who made everything and who is deserving of all glory and honor and power. But we all reject Him as our ruler. I just make a simple X through that crown. How do we reject God as our ruler, as the one who's worthy of all glory and honor and power? Well, I'm going to draw a small crown, and I'm going to draw my stick figure over here again. I make myself, you make yourself your own little king. We all reject God by wanting to run life our own way without Him. And in one degree or another, that's what we want to have that conversation about. We all do that. Some of us, it's, it's we wouldn't say that we don't believe in God, but it's like, God, if you can get behind me and you can help me do what I already want to do, then great. But if you're not going to help me do what I already want to do, if you're not going to help me live life the way I want to live my life, then I don't really have a place for you in my life, or I only have a one-hour-a-week place for you in my life. God calls that rebellion. God calls that sin. And that's what we want to help the, the, the people that we are sharing with understand it. And again, if we might share some Scripture, there's many Scriptures that might occur to you. The one that kind of sticks in my mind is, is what Paul says in Romans 3, there is no one righteous. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. All have turned away. That's, that's what I want to represent. We all do this. We all turn away from God as the rightful ruler over our lives. Well, what will God do about our rebellion? Now, this is, this is the hard part of the gospel to share, but we need to share it. Uh, we need to share that the bus is headed off the cliff, and what's going to happen if you're on that bus when it goes off the cliff? What will God do about our re- rebellion? If we die in that state of, of rejecting God, of trying to run life our own way without Him, we face judgment. And again, I'm going to draw just that simple crown, but this time when I draw the stick figure, I'm going to draw it lying on its side. Why? I'm representing death. And, and again, many scriptures we can think of when we think of judgment, but I think of Hebrews 9.27, we're all destined to die. And after that, Hebrews 9.27 says, says, we face judgment. We will be judged for trying to run life our own way without Him. Now, God's justice sounds harsh, but fortunately the gospel doesn't end there, and we go on to the fourth square. We need to understand God. We need to understand sin. We need to understand judgment. The fourth square, we need to understand Okay, we need to understand Jesus, or Jesus' death in particular is the fourth square. And so, what do we want to represent? Uh, again, I'm going to draw the crown of, uh, of God, and I'm going to draw uh, the globe of, of the earth. I'm going to do something just a little bit different with the stick figure this time. I'm not going to draw the arms in yet, and I'll show you why in just a moment. So, how do I lead up to this? God, because of His great love for us, He sent His Son into the world, the man Jesus Christ. And off to the side, 
I'll draw a J representing this is somebody different than the, the former stick figure in the former pictures. And again, I haven't drawn the arms in. I'll get to that in just a moment. What do I want to say in this square? Jesus did what you and I haven't been able to do. Jesus always lived under God's rule. Jesus always did the will of the Father perfectly. So there is no sin in Him. And yet, by dying in our place, and at this point, I'm going to draw the arms straight out, representing Jesus with His arms outstretched on the cross for you and me. By dying in our place, He took our punishment the punishment we deserve for trying to run life our own way without Him. And He brought us forgiveness. And that's what I want to help somebody understand. There is the the key that unlocks the gospel. Many scriptures you could share. Um, 1 Peter 3.18 comes to my mind. Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous, that's Christ. For the unrighteous, that's me. That's, That's you in order to bring us to God. That's what God did in initiating our salvation, sending Jesus, our Savior, into the world. That leads us to uh, the fifth square. It's not enough to to end the gospel with Jesus' death on the cross because Jesus didn't stay dead. God raised Jesus to life again. The resurrection, the fifth square is understanding the resurrection. And again, I'm not going to try and draw a picture of somebody coming out of a tomb. I'm simply going to use the the crown, and I'm going to put J for Jesus on the crown. Why? Because God not only raised Jesus from the dead, He raised Him up to that ascended place of ruler over all of the heavens. Jesus is now the ruler. Jesus is now the king. He is the ruler over all the world. And in that place, at God's right hand, you know what? Jesus extends to us forgiveness. Jesus gives us new life. And we'll talk about that more in just a moment, what that means. Jesus has conquered death. He now gives new life. Many scriptures you could use. I think of 1 Peter 1.3, and His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. I want them to get the resurrection. Again, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. The sixth square is all about where all this leads. I really want to bring them up to a place of making a decision because if these five squares are true, then there is a choice. And there's only two choices that you can make. And the first choice is, is kind of the default choice And that is, well, we can keep deciding to live our own life, our own way, without God. A lot of people make that as a conscious choice, but even if you don't make that as a conscious choice, if you don't make the other choice, you have made that choice, continuing to live life your own way without God. And what is the result of that? We're condemned by God. We will, Hebrews 9.27, face judgment when we die. We're condemned by God. We're facing death and judgment. But it doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to be that way because there is God's new way. And what is the choice of God's new way? God's new way is we can recognize Jesus for exactly who He is. He is the King. He is Lord. That's what we sang earlier. Did we really mean it when we sang it? He is the Lord. 
we can submit our lives to Him as our King. We can say, no, no longer am, am I going to insist on running life my own way without, without you. I, I want you to call the shots. And we can trust, we can put our confidence in His death and resurrection. And what's the result of that? If this is the choice we make, we know we are forgiven by God. And not only are we forgiven by God, we're given eternal life. Many verses you could use at this point. Maybe you've got some memorized that, that are particularly meaningful to you, but I think of John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who rejects the Son, that's the first choice, will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. I, I hope in some way this has been helpful uh, to you in, in maybe thinking about a different way to present your faith. Um, it's, it's a way that I usually never have a conversation, a gospel conversation, where I get through all six squares in one, uh, one conversation, but it, it gives me a framework to go to when I have, whether I have 15 minutes with a person, or I have 15 meetings with a person, or anywhere in between. I, I want to make sure I hit all six of those squares. I want to make sure I, I bring them to that sixth square of bringing them to that place of making that choice. Two weeks ago, we drilled down in depth on the first two squares, on understanding God and understanding sin. Last week, we, we looked at squares three and four. We drilled down on understanding judgment and understanding Christ's death on the cross. I want to finish this week by understanding the fifth square, which is understanding uh, resurrection, why the resurrection is important. Christ did not just die for our sins. He rose from the dead. God raised Jesus to life again. I want to make sure that I share that because every apostle I read about in, in Acts and in the other accounts in the New Testament who, who gives the gospel is sure to give that hope of the resurrection. They speak of Christ being raised from the dead. Paul is a good example in 1 Corinthians 15. Yes, he died. Yes, he was buried. But he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. We cannot leave this out of the gospel. Why? Why is the resurrection important? Well, one, the resurrection is important because it demonstrates that Jesus' claims about Himself are true. If I came to you and I told you I was the Son of God and that I was willing to die for you, and let's say I even let myself be, be executed, and then you never saw me again, I think you'd have your doubts, and you should. But Jesus was raised from the dead, validating His claims about Himself. As Paul says in Romans 1.4, He was shown to be the Son of God when He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. It validated that He is who He said He is. Also, the resurrection is important because it demonstrates that what He did on the cross worked. In other words, it demonstrated that Jesus dying on the cross, that that was accepted by God as a substitutionary sacrifice. How do we know God's anger was appeased? Again, I, I could tell you I was going to die for your sins. How do you know that that would appease God's anger and satisfy God's wrath for, for our sin? You wouldn't. 
unless he rose from the dead. Romans 4.25, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life for our justification. You know that you are justified if you have put your faith in Jesus. You know that you have a right standing before God. That's the meaning of justification. Why? Because he was raised to life for your justification. We can know that we are forgiven by God. We can know that we are righteous in God's sight because Jesus was raised to life. The resurrection is important because it affirms that what he did on the cross for us worked, was effective, was efficacious. Through Jesus' resurrection, Jesus conquered death. I, I want people to understand that he conquered death. Now, obviously, he conquered his own death coming back to life, but I want us to understand, and the people we're sharing with, that he conquers death for us. Now, think for a moment when, when, when we think about death. Let's go back to, to, to a couple of weeks ago. We saw last week that our bent to live life our own way without God, that, that brings God's judgment upon us, that we're all destined to die, and after that we'll face judgment. How did Jesus conquer that? Well, by through His resurrection, Jesus not only conquered His own death, He's conquered death for those of us who believe and trust in Him. Now, what do I mean by that? What, what death did Jesus conquer? To understand that, to really get a handle on that, so we're not just mouthing words, I, I think we have to think back to where death first occurred. And it goes all the way back at the beginning of Genesis in the garden when your and my first father and mother, Adam and Eve, they representatively rebelled. They, they were the first man and woman to try to live life their own way without God. And Paul talked about the effect of their choice in Romans 5. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So, so when they ignored the limits, God, God, gives them, God gives them everything, everything. And yet he says, because I'm good and because I know what is best for you, out of all this I give you, here are these very narrow limits. Stay, stay within the wide boundaries. Don't, don't transgress those limits. But, but they do what you and I do. Well, it kind of feels right for me to want to do that. And in fact, because you don't want me to do that, now I want to do that even more. And so they tried to live life their own way without God, and they, 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 they broke those limits. And in doing so, they sinned. There's the meaning of the word sin, to, to transgress, to, to cross the limits, the good limits that God has put in place for our lives. And in sinning, sin entered the world. The whole human race, including you and me, becomes infected with that desire to live life our own way without God. And sin brought death. And that death spread to everyone. That, that infection of sin that is passed down to you and me is lethal. And we all know that. We all feel that because it's not just Adam and Eve who sinned. It says for everyone sinned. You and I all have that basic drive to want to do life our own way. Again, if God will conveniently get behind us and help us do what I already want to do, 
wonderful, but if not, we plow on ahead, wanting to do life our own way without Him. Have you ever stopped to think about this, that, that there was no death before the human race rebelled? That God, in creating the world, says uh, everything was very good. There was no death. There was no sickness. There was no decay before our first father and mother chose to go their own way without God. We, we see it even in Genesis 2.17. Here's the warning about the limits. God says to them, don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. You know, there's, a, there's a, a condition implied in there. There is no death yet. But if you cross these limits, you will bring death upon yourself. And in doing so, they brought it on the whole human race. Now, what kind of death? I mean, that's the other thing I think we really need to wrestle with. What kind of death is it that Jesus conquers by His resurrection? I want to suggest to you that there's two kinds of death, and I'll do the less obvious one first. Jesus, by His resurrection, conquers spiritual death. What is spiritual death? Well, I think we have a hint of it in 2 Thessalonians 1 when it says that ultimately those who die in this state, those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, here's judgment, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and get this next line, and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Shut out from the presence of the Lord. That is separation from God. That is the very definition of spiritual death. And you can compare it with what Adam and Eve enjoyed before they they sinned, before they rejected God. They had perfect, unbroken fellowship with God. You read those first two chapters of Genesis, and, and you can really take the implication that they literally walked with God and communed openly with God. And yet all of that was broken. That fellowship was broken when they chose to go their own way and do their own thing without God. We see this as well in in, in Romans 26. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. Now, what's the first resurrection? The first resurrection is the resurrection of Jesus. That's why the resurrection is so important to the gospel. And you and I, we share in the first resurrection if we trust in Jesus, if we, put, if we believe and trust in Jesus Christ. But notice there's an alternative implied here. If you don't share in the first resurrection, if you insist on trying to live life your own way without God, if Jesus really isn't your king, then you will experience the second death. What's the second death? Well, think of what the first death is. That's, that one is a little more obvious. The first death is the reality that now, because of what happened all the way back in the garden, you and I will one day physically die. If Jesus does not return first, our earthly life and our body will at some point come to an end. What's the second death? The second death is what happens after your first death when you face Christ in judgment if you have rejected Him all of your earthly life. If you die in the state 
of having tried to live your whole life your own way without God, without making Jesus your Savior and your King, you will experience the second death. And there's much that describes the second death in Scripture, but let me give you this one horrifying image in Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Let me give you the good news first. If you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, if you trust in Him, if you turn to Him as, as, as your King, as your Lord over your life, the good news is He has recorded your name in His book of life, and you will not experience the second death. In fact, you will experience eternal life. But if you have rejected Christ, whether that is actively, openly, rebelliously, or whether that is just passively rejected Him by refusing to trust in Him, by refusing to have Him be the Lord and the King of your life. If you have lived your life your own way without God, after you die, you will face judgment, and you will, it's the words here, not mine, you will be thrown into the lake of fire. That lake of fire... You know, I know it has aspects of physical anguish. I know it has aspects of of mental and emotional anguish. But even rising above all of those as terrible as they are, that lake of fire is the final irreversible punishment of being separated from God forever. That's the second death. That is the second death. Well, Jesus conquers that second death for those of us who trust in Him. Jesus conquers spiritual death for those who trust in Him. But not only does He conquer spiritual death, He conquers physical death as well. Physical death, again, like I said earlier, was not part of God's original creation. Physical death was part of the curse of God's of God saying, here is the consequence of you choosing to, to run life your own way without God. Look at Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your brow, this is part of the curse now, by the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. God says this is a consequence of you choosing to live life your own way and live outside my limits, you will now die. There will come a time when your physical body breaks down and it'll be separated from your spirit, from your soul, and your body, your physical body, will become part of the ground from which it came. Now think about Adam and Eve. That physical death did not occur the moment or even the day that they ate of the fruit, but, but the process of physically dying began that day. At that point, the effects of aging, the effects of, a, of disease, the effects of decaying, they were all set in motion in their lives. So here God declares that as part of sin's curse, uh, We'll all return to the ground, to the dust. We'll all now physically die. There will come a point if Jesus does not return first where our body is separated from our spirit and our body will be buried or cremated or whatever it is. Physical death is also a separation. As spiritual death is a separation from from God, physical death is a separation 
temporary for those of us who trust in Christ, but it is a separation of our body and our spirit. But Jesus conquers physical death. The resurrection of Jesus means that He conquers physical death as well as spiritual death for those of us who believe and trust in Him. How does He do that? We have promises throughout Scripture that if you believe and trust in Christ, even if you die before He returns, when He returns, He will raise your body. He will glorify your body like His body is glorified. He will rejoin your body to your, to your glorified soul. And that is what you'll live together in eternity with Him. You will enjoy the promise that He makes in Roman, or excuse me, Revelation 2.7 that He will give you the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. The very thing that He banned Adam and Eve after they sinned from. Don't eat from that tree or else you'll live eternally and you'll live eternally in the state of being separated from God, a horrifying state. He now extends to us through Christ if we put our faith in Him. Well, finally, new life. The resurrection not only conquers death, the resurrection, through the resurrection, Jesus gives you and me new life. And that is not just new life eternal, though we've been talking about that is important. That's new life now. It's new not just in terms of its endurance. It's new not just in terms of of what eternally is going to come. It's new now in terms of the quality of life. And let me just remind you if, you, if you, if you struggle at the moment, really thinking of your, your life in Christ as new, let me just refresh your, your memory. I'm just going to pick a couple here of how different your life is now if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and, and trust Him as your Savior and Lord. Jesus gives us new life now as a child of God, all right? Before we were aliens, Before, we were enemies of God. We were separated from fellowship. But John says, or Jesus says in John 1.12, to all who have received Him, those who believe in His name, He gives the right to become the children of God. That, That is a very new quality of your life. From enemy to family. From alien to His child. From God who is a wrathful God to a God who is now our Father. He, here's another, here's another way our, our, of our new life. We have new life of access to the Father. Jesus says in John 16, 24, ask and you will receive and your joy will be made complete. Before I had no ability to come before God. Before I was on my own. But now through Jesus, I can come before the Father. I can bring my burdens I can bring my needs. I can bring my concerns. I can bring my desire for direction. And He hears me because of Jesus. We have new life of understanding truth. Before I turned to Jesus, I was blind. Before I turned to Jesus, I didn't understand spiritual reality. Before I turned to Jesus, I could not understand the Bible. But now, because of the new life that Jesus gives, John 14, 26, He gives us the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, He sent that to us, who, who resides in us now, who teaches us all things, who reminds us of everything that Jesus has said to us. We now can understand His truth. We now can understand His Word. Not completely, not overnight, 
But the Spirit is in there to help us grow in that. We have new life of freedom not to sin. Paul says in Romans 6, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Now, that doesn't mean we no longer sin, but it no longer means I'm enslaved to sin. And there were sins before I turned to Jesus that I could, I could not choose not to do. I would fall back in them again and again and again. Well, I was enslaved to them. Jesus, by His resurrection, has broken us free. Jesus, by His resurrection, has now given us the freedom not to sin. I can choose in the power of the Holy Spirit not to continue to sin. One more. There are many more, but one more. We have new life experiencing true peace. Before I turned to Jesus, I was worried about what would happen to me after I die. I knew at some deep level that that, that, that there was a distance between me and God. I had no peace. Nothing in the world could give me peace. But now, Paul says, Romans 5.1, since we have been made right in God's sight, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. That is a quality of new life that, that nobody can experience without turning to Christ. Well, all of this brings us down to the last box. I'm going to cover this really quickly because it's really, it just gets down to making a choice. If these first five boxes are all true, and I, I, I base my life upon the truth of these first five boxes, if they are all true, it leaves every one of us with a choice. And that is the sixth box, understanding the choice. And that choice is there's only two ways to live. There's, there's, there's no middle ground here, all right? I want you to understand this. You can choose to continue to live life your old way, or you can choose God's new way. Let me break this down. Our old way. You can. You, you can this morning here. If you've not chosen to turn to Christ, you, you either because you're going to make a conscious choice to do this this morning or because you're not going to make any choice at all and it's going to happen by default— You are choosing to keep living life your own way on your own terms. And in doing this, God sees you as continuing to rebel against Him. And in doing this, God God is going to allow the consequences both now in this life, when you make a mess of your life running life your own way, and eternally in condemnation to fall upon you. The result, John 3.36, if you reject the Son you will not see life, eternal life, new life. In fact, God's wrath remains on you. You will be subject to death and judgment. God will give you exactly what you deserve. You want to run life your own way without Him? He will let you do that and let you suffer the consequences. Or for those of us who've realized that that situation is hopeless, there is God's new way. And God's new way is we submit to Jesus as our loving ruler, as, as our king. And, and we rely on Jesus' death and resurrection. And, and the result, Romans 4, 7, by, by doing that, by trusting in Jesus as my king, by trusting in Jesus as my savior, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. I am forgiven by God as I do that. And John three thirty six. Whoever believes in Him 
has eternal life. I'm not only forgiven of my sins, I'm given eternal life. Let me just close with this statement. These two ways couldn't be more different. You don't get to choose a middle ground. You choose to sit on the fence. Well, maybe that's a decision that I'll make down the road when I'm older. You've already made the decision to go that old way. And, and again, none of us know how many, how, many, how many more hours that we have to live. And so I, I, I close this the way I would close any conversation. Which way do you want to live? Which way do you want to live? Your old way with its consequences and its result or God's new way with the promise of forgiveness and the promise of eternal life? If you're here this morning and you know you've never made this choice consciously, God's new way, uh, I want to offer you an opportunity. Um, I have really that presentation I've been making the last three weeks in a little convenient booklet form. I would love for you to come up to me afterwards. I will give you one of these booklets. I'll direct you to one of our prayer counselors. They can go through it with you. They can help you pray, help you make sure that you are making the choice of God's new way, that you're putting your trust in Jesus as your loving ruler, as your Savior, and your Lord. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your gospel. Jesus, thank you for being the center of that gospel for being our sacrifice, for being our hope and your resurrection from the dead. Holy Spirit, do the work in our hearts that, that you know needs to be done. Uh, move those who have not chosen you to choose you. We pray this for your honor and your glory. Amen.